This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. It not only educates its students about today's communication industry, but it produces innovative leaders. For more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with security specialist and international lawyer David Crane. He spent over three decades in top-level intelligence work for the government. He also helped create and was the founding director of the Office of Intelligence Review in the Department of Defense. David paints a gloomy picture of the way President Trump is using and abusing intelligence and intelligence personnel. You had a long professional history in uh, security uh, and intelligence uh, throughout your career. Uh, your, Your career, as I understand it, David, it has spanned multiple administrations. You and I chatted uh, a while back about some of your concerns about the way this administration started handling intelligence. Uh, have those concerns deepened or have they been uh, lessened over the time? I'm not a person of, of extremes and of extreme uh uh, feelings, but uh, for the first time in uh, in my life, I actually have extreme feelings about where this is all going, and deep concerns about uh, what is going on in this administration. Fortunately, there are 99.9 percent of the members of the federal government who will continue uh, on every day doing their important duties, uh, regardless of the individual in the Oval Office who rants and raves and howls at the moon in the evenings, uh, you know, really the federal government proceeds. You know, there's only a small, small percentage of individuals who are who are de- uh, designated by Donald Trump, appointed by Donald Trump in, in particular offices. Uh, but, uh, you know, the federal government and their employees of the federal government are sworn not to the president, but to the Constitution of the United States, and they quietly every day come to work and support the Constitution. Uh, and there's little that the president can do about that, uh, regardless of how he uh, uh, rants and raves. That being the case, uh, however, we, we've we had some uh, situations since you and I talked last. We had the, the meeting in uh, with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. We've had uh, the, the presidential meeting with Vladimir Putin. Uh, those did not exactly go according to past protocol, correct? Our listeners have to understand, this is all theater. Uh, This is just another reality TV program that's playing out at the highest levels of uh, our national and international uh, uh, circle. And, uh, you know, the importance of all of that, the meeting with Putin and uh, and Kim Jong-un, is not the substance, it's the pictures. Uh, He likes to be out there. Uh, and he is. Eighty percent of our media coverage is about him. He's going through a rather bad week this week because 
We are now honoring a true American and a true American hero, Senator John McCain. And he's even lamented that uh, no one's paying attention to him. Uh, so this this is just theater. This is reality TV. Uh, and uh, this is how he tries to show his followers uh, that he is doing something. But in reality, it's just doing it in a way that puts him on television and on the radio and on Twitter and social media. I, I'm not trying to be uh, facetious about this. This is this is really how he operates. And the uh, even at the White House and down into the uh, to the executive branches, uh, they just continue to uh, to ignore this and move on. Uh, this is just how he is. And uh, they took him a while to to really fully understand him, uh, but they let him do his theatrics and then the the day-to-day important work of the United States uh, moves on. But isn't it difficult when a principal like the president meets with a leader of another country uh, without any staff and only interpreters and then no debriefings afterwards to understand what was talked about, what was agreed to? Obviously, that makes it much more difficult for the those staff people that you talk about that do their business day in and day out, they're not sure what business to do. Oh, exactly. It's incredible. First time ever, there's no president in our entire history who has acted like this, who has not, in fact, kept his staff informed, who had members uh, in the room. It's very, very critical, but it just reinforces uh, my thinking, and it's my opinion. Uh, All of us have our own opinions, but it's a considered opinion that this is more show than it is substance. It may be more show than substance, but obviously it causes some concern even outside the intelligence community. Uh, People talk about it and they wonder what was given away, what was negotiated, uh, what's on the horizon, but we just don't know. Well, you're right. I mean, you make a fair point. I mean, I used to oversee 80 percent of the U.S. intelligence community, uh, uh, which is in the Department of Defense on behalf of the Secretary of Defense and uh, the two intelligence committees of the two houses of Congress. So I know the business. I know the ins and outs and the nuances of it. I've been out of uh, office for quite some time. But the point is, is that, yes, uh, he is the commander in chief. Yes, he is the person that our intelligence community provide information to so that he can make appropriate, reasoned decisions, rational decisions. Uh, But he has frozen out this incredible group of individuals who risk their lives every day to ensure that all of our national command authority has the appropriate information to make appropriate decisions. And he has frozen them out uh, uh, to the point of where he doesn't uh, understand that he rarely gets the presidential uh, daily brief on what's going on around the world. Uh, He uh, uh, has no real interest in what the intelligence community has to say. And you've seen him attack Uh, everyone across the board from his national security teams, from the attorney general, the director of the FBI, the director of CIA, the director of national intelligence, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So uh, this is just unprecedented to the so unprecedented that our drafters of our Constitution never contemplated somewhat borderline treasonous activity on the part of a president of the United States. If we go back to the meeting with Putin and the the two hours of uninterrupted conversation alone, and let's just focus for a moment in our conversation on Syria, which I know you have an in-depth knowledge of. 
Did that give you pause when you saw that happening and know the volatility of the Syrian situation? I doubt they even spoke about Syria. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Trump has conceded for the first time in our history a portion of the world to an adversary. Uh, we are there. We are doing certain things, uh, which we must do. But in reality, uh, I don't think that Trump really is that concerned about a human tragedy that's been going on for over eight years. Uh, because it's not about him and, and his deep psychological narcissist problems. He doesn't look at the world that way. It's what is it in for me and how does it affect me? If it doesn't affect him, he obviously allows his, uh, his governmental executive department to do their jobs, and they must act with particularly the State Department, Department of Defense, the intelligence community. They must obviously deal with the world. Uh, but I doubt that he has that a much of focus and interest personally. Now, obviously, his team, as well as the professionals of the U.S. intelligence community, State Department, Department of Defense, they're very concerned, and they certainly do not want to see Russia get a major foothold in the Middle East, which they've never had, ever, until uh, Syria. And now they have essentially assisted uh, President Assad in militarily uh, winning, and they're about to complete uh, ending this civil war here fairly soon, I think in a really uh, uh, apocalyptic battle at Idlib, uh, the last stronghold uh, in Syria, where we will see the final end of a, uh, of a terrible civil war. But Assad will prevail, and the only reason he has prevailed is through Russia as well as uh, Iran. But again, to go back to your point, uh, that's what I I think, but no one knows. Uh, you know, from theories of, well, Putin, a KGB colonel uh, back in the 80s, uh, may have been his case officer, and that he, that Donald Trump was basically one of his assets. And neither of them really would have understood 20-plus years later that they would be heads of opposing governments but the and that's pure conspiracy and, and madness in my mind i can't conceive that donald trump is actually a spy for uh kgb colonel vladimir putin but i do having been in the business a long time myself think that they do have something on him and he is terrified they know he's terrified and uh, that is a sword of damocles over him I don't know what that would be, but I, I can't think that a man of such low moral character would behave himself in Russia uh, after the wall came down where uh, uh, there are no rules there. And uh, men like Trump uh, live very, very large over there uh, and without uh, any kind of rule of law. So I, I suspect they have got something on him uh, that is incredibly embarrassing and his actions uh, actually conform to the actions of somebody who is uh, who is in trouble, uh, and they know it. Does that spill over, though, to international decisions, foreign policy decisions? For example, 
Could that, what you just described, spill over to the way that we're handling Iran now or, or not handling Iran now uh, the, and, and our relationship with them as pivotal to the Middle East? For someone who has been in this world doing these kind of things for almost 40 years, I can't believe I'm actually talking to you about this <laughs> in the way I'm talking about this. Uh, it's so antithetical to everything I have ever done, believed in, and risked my life for, that I'm actually answering your questions the way I'm answering these questions. Uh, but at the end of the day, in this rise of nationalism, in this rise of strongmen and dictators that I thought would never happen again, very similar to the geopolitical situation in the late 20s and 1930s, uh, I, the United States is withdrawing from the world. And I was just at an international meeting, Just uh, I just came back yesterday, and uh, I'm very, some very close friends told me that you know the world is starting to adjust from their absolute shock and deciding and, and, and wondering whether we have to just continue on without the United States. And that's happening not just in international criminal law, uh, but just the concept of international peace and security that, uh, that they're thinking about from a midterm point of view uh, being without uh, the, uh, the firm leadership uh, of the United States, which has been a rock and cornerstone uh, to that international peace and security uh, since 1945. The world is starting to adjust and look to, to other power centers which they can rally behind and, uh, and, uh, and step forward uh, without the United States. And that is such a, a terrible thought. Now, this may not last permanently, uh, but it will be something that will set us back <clears throat> and the U.S. is going to have to, in the long term, work very, very hard at getting the world to begin to look back at the United States as some kind of uh, reasoned and rational partner. I'm just having all of that sink in for a moment because that, that, that's really dark, <laughs> what you've just described. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not a dark guy. I know you those are. Those of you that uh, know me and I those know of you me, I'm an optimist. Uh, I can certainly be uh, a strong guy, and I can certainly do things for my country and international peace and security. But at the end of the day, I'm just uh, just an individual gets up every morning and says, "Look, I got work to do, but I'm a I'm I'm a happy guy." But I'm I can't like I told you, I can't believe that I'm saying these things, and in a way that I'm actually believing these things. Uh, but you know, our listeners have to just understand that uh, the rarefied world of southeastern Ohio or the rarefied world of most of the, the middle part of the United States uh, is not the way the world is. And the United States is a player, and making America great again is to remain engaged, be a leader, work with people, uh, step up when there's a wrong uh, and encourage when there's a right, uh, but we're not doing that right now. So uh, America is at its weakest point that I've ever seen in my personal and professional life. Uh, it's never been at a less respected uh, political place. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking as I'm saying this as to how far back do I have to go 
And I'm looking at somewhere between 1812, somewhere in there when we were a brand new nation trying to uh, spread our own wings and uh, we were invaded uh, by the Brits. Uh, I mean, since then, our standing in the world was a steady, growing industrial power uh, where we had the concept of freedom, uh, which was respected around the world. I haven't seen us at this weakened state. uh, Actually, I I probably think in in our history, uh, we are slipping off the summit uh, of that uh, of that uh, great city on the hill uh, that the U.S. has always been known for. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University is comprised of five schools, each offering a variety of majors and programs for students who want to pursue communication-related careers. From the highly technical information and telecommunication systems to the theoretical communication studies and everything in between, programs in the college offer students both the fundamentals of communication practice and the tenacity and skills to further advance the field. In addition, the college is home to four centers and institutes that enable students to gain hands-on experience and learn new skills. You can learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Let's shift gears just a moment because I I want to... Please, let's do that. Well... Not it's not any more pleasant, but uh, we talk about the administration ignoring intelligence and uh, certainly minimizing its uh, importance in the way that this administration operates. Uh, but I want to go take that a step further. It seems that uh, the president or some of his administration, are going to the extent of purging uh, intelligence personnel. If you look at the Department of Justice, if you look at the FBI, uh, certain people seem to be targeted by the administration, and those people are have expertise in uh, Russian counterintelligence or uh, a Russian organized crime. Uh, But they're targeted, and not only are they targeted, but it seems like uh, a a group that you are familiar with, the House Intelligence Committee, uh, primarily complicit in in that purging. Uh, Give me your perspective on that. Yeah, I think it's really important. One is is that even though the president is howling at the moon uh, every evening, at the end of the day, there is a thing called law and federal personnel law, and, and rules and regulations where a individual, a political appointee, or the president himself, other than a political appointee, because they only serve at the pleasure of, of the president, the president can't fire because he is angry at somebody or don't like what they're doing based on the law, regardless of, of however he feels. So he cannot, and there's case law on this back uh, you know, go back uh, 50 years. You know, we have the federal personnel law, which says that an individual who becomes a federal employee, uh, ha- there's a whole process by which someone has 
can be terminated, uh, and they're re- they're allowed to have both administrative due process and legal due process. And there has to be statutorily uh, explained reasons for the termination, such as being convicted of a felony, being caught passing secrets to another country, moral turpitude, those kind of things. But even that, regardless of how bad the act may be, uh, there is a process by which that federal employee is terminated. You can't go outside that, nor can the president dictate that. So even though it makes good theater and sometimes good news as far as what he wants to do, that's why when I say howling at the moon, I don't just say that as as just a, a literal term. I mean, he's literally howling at the moon because it only echoes within the Oval Office. He has, you know, his staff will walk out and be told by appropriate legal advisors, it's not going to happen. And uh, so he really can't go after people other than those are the ones that he politically appointed. He can remove them uh, with the stroke of a pen or a phone call. But 99.99% of the federal workforce, he has no way of directing their firing uh, just because of their politics, their actions, or that he personally doesn't like them. So I think it's really important that regardless of, and to include the House Intelligence Committee as far as playing around with intelligence, and we can talk more about that in a, in a minute, the actual uh, uh, removal of federal employees from the federal government, or frankly like employees of Ohio, the Ohio State government, cannot be just uh, uh, terminated because uh, the governor or the president doesn't like what they're doing. So uh, he doesn't understand this, or he's been told this and has ignored it. But at the end of the day, he can no more fire uh, Mr. Orr from the Justice Department, who is the assistant uh, attorney general, uh, because he's a federal employee. He's not a political employee. So there's nothing he can do about that. And in a a corollary way, it's the same thing related to security clearances. Federal employees, most of them don't have security clearances. They don't need a security clearance. But in the national security business, pretty much everybody has a security clearance. Uh, There's an investigation under law. There is a way by which you're granted that security clearance, and every year your clearance is adjudicated. But you cannot lose your security clearance unless there is a reason under law, policy, and statute that allows you to lose that. So it's the same thing about terminate, being terminated as a federal employee. Uh, yes, you can have your security clearance temporarily uh, suspended pending an investigation, pending this, pending that, uh, but you can't actually lose your clearance until there, again, is some type of administrative uh, due process uh, based on uh, uh, policy as well as law uh, related to that. So, again, the president himself cannot just, say, pull the security clearance of uh, David Crane. Uh, he has to say, "We need, I would like for you to look into whether he is uh, allowed to have a security clearance. There's an investigation, and in most instances, uh, it would probably be, uh, it would remain. Well, help us, certain- help us out, though. That, that didn't seem to happen with uh, the uh, taking away Brennan's security clearance. Well, you know, essentially, we, you know, our listeners have to understand you know, when I left government, I had all of the, uh, I had 
all of the what we call tickets. Uh, I was one of the uh, few in the Pentagon that had every single ticket to look at everything. Uh, but when I uh, retired from the federal government to take my position as Under Secretary General and Chief Prosecutor of the uh, of the uh, Tribunal in West Africa, uh, I lost my clearances, as do all individuals, both political appointees as well as uh, federal employees. So John Brennan may be temporarily read on to certain things as in his position, uh, or he may be have a, a temporary clearance, what have you, but there's no clearance for him to take away. It's, again, a theatrical political move versus, uh, in reality, re- uh, uh, removing it. All the president can do saying is, I don't want John Brennan or whoever this list may be to be allowed to see intelligence anymore, that he could do. But he hasn't pulled a clearance. He just says, I don't want him to be read on. Because what happens is in this business is there, uh, you know, we all, uh, the current incumbents always look to those of us who served in the past. They may have a problem. So they may call us in and have us read on specifically to a particular situation uh, and, and you sign an agreement saying you're not going to divulge anything, et cetera. And so that the CIA director can sit down with you and say, hey, look, I got this problem. You handled it uh, 10 years ago. Uh, how did, uh, what do you think? How do you think I should handle it now? That goes on and has been going on uh, uh, bipartisan-like for decades. This is, this, you know, this is what makes uh, America great. We're all, we're, at the end of the day, we're all Americans. So, right. you know, all he really is doing is just preventing John Brennan to assisting his own CIA director. See how crazy this is? <laughs> yes. So that, so again, uh, it's the, it's theater more than it is uh, reality. Uh, but John Brennan has chosen to take that theater and, and continue the, the act, you know, scene one, Act one, and is now poking the president in the eye and making an issue of it uh, because of frustration and trying to get the American people to understand uh, that we had that we have a a very dangerous man in the White House, and obviously seventy six other very senior members of the national security team, past and present, who come forward saying we support John Brennan. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, uh, uh, there's no clearance to be lost. So John Brennan it, it talked uh, immediately afterward, and it sort of uh, died back a bit about uh, taking legal action, taking some legal action, and not so much for him as he characterized it, but for all the other people who were on the, the hit list to have their security clearances tampered with. Uh, your lawyer, help us out as as our lay audience, our lay people. Is there any legal theory to that? Well, again, we have to understand that this is all fiction. Okay. There's no clearance to lose. Therefore, there's no property right that's been lost. Therefore, there's no standing to go into court to do that. Uh, so that I don't see where there's a case or controversy related to what's going on here. This is all political uh, maneuvering. Now, if John Brennan was actually in government again, and he pulled John Brennan's clearance when he was director of CIA because he didn't want John Brennan uh, to have a clearance because of uh, what have you, as a political appointee, he can he can fire John Brennan. 
Right. Uh, so that that's the easy part. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, 99.99% of, of the federal government aren't political appointees. So the president really only has direct control of those who he politically appoints into these positions. So if he wants to pull the I think if he was so angry at John Brennan, if he was actually in government, then he would probably fire him or John Brennan would resign. Uh, so, uh, again, I want to make sure that your, your, our listeners understand that uh, a uh, position in the federal government uh, is a property right. And you cannot take a property, life, liberty, or property uh, from an American citizen without due process of law. A clearance is similar in the sense of if you're in the national security business, if you don't have a clearance, you can't have a job, but that job is a property right. So if you're going to take that clearance away, then you have to give the individual uh, administrative due process as required under our Constitution. So all the president can do is yell and shout. At the end of the day, the legal system will kick in and therefore uh, allow the system uh, to work its way through, through due process. So if the president just says, I don't like this guy, pull his clearance, that is not a legal basis, if it's not a political appointee, a legal basis by which you can cause someone's security clearance to be pulled or his job to be terminated, okay. as we've been talking about this. Well, that that's, that's great to know because you've really interpreted a, a lot of things that I think uh, in, in the media, really, we just get the headlines and not the the background story and, and some of the facts, and so that that's important to get. Uh, last thing I want to talk with you about uh, today is though the the relationship between the Congress, uh, especially the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees. Uh, y- you've worked with them uh, over over the years and uh, they they've really had some stellar moments but uh, perhaps this one is not one of their stellar moments well again the uh, back in the mid 70s based on the revelations of of the federal government uh, violating our civil rights due to quote national security the Intelligence Committee, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, by mandate, were bipartisan committees to look at issues of concern to ensure that the intelligence community is following the Constitution and not violating our rights. Uh, and that is their mandate to do it in a bipartisan manner. And uh, uh, up and for for pretty much decades, the both the House Committee and the Senate. Uh, committee have been fairly bipartisan, uh, testified before them many, many, many times. Uh, Politics was nothing to do with it. Security of the United States had everything to do with it. What has happened, and it really manifested itself, and it's been slipping uh, over the past 10 years, but the election of uh, Donald Trump as president and uh, uh, and has shifted and have made this much more partisan to the point of where the House uh, committee is not bipartisan at all. And uh, uh, Congressman Nunes has turned it into a sham and a shell of what it is supposed to be. And and also, then what ends up happening is we don't have a uh, separate and co-equal branches of government. 
all Nunes is doing is trying to do whatever uh, the administrator wants him to do, and he's not doing his constitutional duties of being a separate branch of government and and reviewing the process of the other branch of government. The two political branches uh, are not you know, are supposed to work together, but they're designed also to check and balance each other to ensure that one of those brand, political branches doesn't gain power or political uh, power over the other or over the over the country in general. It's called checks and balances. We all understand that. The Senate uh, Intelligence Committee is a has has remained generally bipartisan, uh, and uh, Senator Warner and uh, the senator from North Carolina have largely uh, tried to keep it bipartisan, though the stresses and strains are there, and so they have. They have uh, moved through this uh, this swamp uh, with a little bit more uh, a little bit more dignity, but uh, but the House House Committee is clearly bipartisan, and see, it's very very important because we do have to check uh, the uh, a, a vigorous uh, and maybe misguided president uh, to do doing things because the, it's the Congress's duty to check that power, and sadly, what's happened? Our Congress. Uh, both both houses have put party over country, uh, and this is never more so poignant as we see uh, one of the few senators uh, that we're going going to lay to rest here in a couple days, uh, right. who really truly believed and put country over party. Uh, those types of individuals in the Senate uh, and certainly the House are. Uh, are very few, and uh, and uh, it's a it's a really a sad moment to see this this happening. But we have to have our political branches working together, but also checking and ensuring each are following the one thing that everybody that joins uh, our government, and that is allegiance to the Constitution. That's all we uh, raise our hand to. There is no allegiance to a president, a person. And I think that our current president just doesn't have the intellectual capacity and depth to understand that. And uh, he is really starting to put pressure on on individuals who are now starting to look to him only. And it's a very, very scary proposition. One last thing. You and I, both being lawyers, uh, have spent our lifetime professional careers uh, really holding the rule of law in, in reverence. Um, it seems to me as, as a layperson and a lawyer that the rule of law has been terribly threatened and still is in, in jeopardy as we speak. W- would you agree with my analysis? Yes, I do. Sadly, uh, uh, I agree with you on a lot of things, and I agree with you on this one. Uh, uh, our, our country is stepping away from the rule of law based on the example uh, that our president is, is setting. He does not believe in the rule of law. He considers the rule of law a hindrance to his business and personal uh, interests. He has said so, he acts so, and he continues to do so, uh, not only at the national level, uh, but also at the international level. So uh, because of this step away from the rule of law nationally and internationally, our whole international uh, rules-based uh, order uh, through the U.N. Charter is, is, is very much 
threatened. David, you and I will talk again, I hope, uh, probably right after the midterm election, and we'll use that time to give some further analysis of where we stand and where we're going to go in this whole issue of national security and intelligence. It will be an interesting discussion regardless of what the result is, my friend. All right. Thank you, David, so much for talking with us. My pleasure. Today, we've been talking with national security expert David Crane about the mishandling of U.S. intelligence by President Trump. Spectrum is produced by WWB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.